Podcast One. You know, sometimes you meet your heroes and you leave disappointed. Well, today is not one of those times. Andy Fallshaw is the founder of Bellroy Wallets, a brand I absolutely love and have loved for many years. And meeting him was anything but a letdown. Andy is one of the smartest marketers going around. So get your pen and paper ready, team, as he really does share some insightful thinking. It's a mind-expanding, wallet-shrinking episode 536 of the 12-year-old, award-winning, small business, big marketing podcast. Yeah, I say, welcome to a small business marketing show, where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of fanboy marketing. (laughs) Yes, I apologise for that up front. I'm your host, Timbo Reid. You, infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner and you are ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly why this podcast exists. So if you love it, hit the subscribe button right now and you will never, ever miss another episode. In fact, you'll be the cool kid on the block who learns when there is a new episode out. And if your marketing appetite is insatiable, and I hope it is, then grab a copy of my popular marketing book, The Boomerang Effect, which you'll find over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. It shows you how to create helpful marketing that returns you more customers, more sales, more money. Ka-ching! As per usual, team, there's marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Okay, time for a bit of fanboying. Don't say I didn't warn you. Today's guest is Andy Falshaw, the founder of Bellroy, B-E-L-L-R-O-Y, which is a wallet brand I love and have been buying for years now. In fact, it's, it's bigger than a wallet brand, but it certainly started out that way. I love Andy's products. I love the brand he's created, and I love how he's gone and is going about marketing it, all of which we cover. So it was no surprise when he told me that in the brand's first 10 years, it sold millions of products to 120 countries every month. He's got 90 staff working locally, plus a bucket load more overseas, bucket load of staff? I don't know. What would you call it? Like, he's got a lot more staff overseas. And only two years ago, they struck a partnership with Google that took the the Bellroy, I should say, business to a whole other level. There's a lot to love about what Andy shares with us today, including why he launched nine businesses before arriving at the one he loved. But the part of our chat I love the most is how he's identified one word, just one word, that drives everything he does to grow the Bellroy business. Now, before launching Bellroy, Andy held a dream job at the global surf brand Rip Curl. So I started off by asking him how that influenced what he's doing today. Many ways. I, I think each of my experiences has informed many things. Um, Rip Curl was something of the dream job for a young human who likes surfing. Um, We got to travel the world, exotic locations. Every meeting was in amazing surf destinations in Hosgore in France or Bali or Hawaii, North Shore, all those sorts of places. And I loved the job. It, it, It was incredible. But after four years there, I think I just realized I wanted something more that was having a a more significant impact on the world. I think we brought joy to many people as they surfed and did those things, but I could see that I I wanted to have more direct impact on folks that perhaps weren't as fortunate to be in countries where they could surf every day and do all those things. So I think one way was it it crystallised that desire to give back. Another was one of the divisions I managed was the equipment division globally. And so that included bags, luggage, wallets, accessories, all sorts of other areas. And so through that, I got to see the inner workings of several parts. I've I've always had a fascination with bags. I've always travelled the world for ski racing and surfing and other things. And so I I got to 
experiment in someone else's business, trying to find gaps in the market, trying to shape new products and all that learning. I then got to sort of later spin out and begin Cariology and Bellroy. And is it fair to say, and Brian Singer, one of the co-founders of Rip Curl, has been on this podcast, so I can call him a friend of the podcast. Um, is it fair to say you were using Rip Curl to start your own business? Well, it was good for <laughs> both of us, I would say. So right. we we ended up starting not, not at all as competitor space. So I think we positioned ourselves in a very different audience. And th- there's actually even a funny story where... Um, I originally came up with the idea of this travel wallet that would fit in your pocket while I was at Rip Curl. And we we launched it at Rip Curl and it just, it was a dud. It just didn't sell. Was it Velcro? No, no, no. We'd, um, when, when that's I, what failed. It, yeah, completely. And I think that's where you start to understand how much a brand is a collection of a particular audience. And at Rip Curl, the people we were selling travel products to were often on their first overseas adventure or they were still very new to it. And so for them, the idea of a travel wallet was those big zip around portfolios that held your itineraries and absolutely everything else. And when we launched this product into that market, they just, they didn't understand what it was about. Like, why would you want to fold all that and keep it in a pocket? Like, you know, I'm finally going on this trip. I want to take this big folio and it's sort of celebrating all my trip planning that I'm doing. Like years later, once Belroy was underway, I, I called up a friend who took over the department and I was like, you know that travel wallet we tried and it just didn't work at Rip Curl? Would you be all right if I actually updated that and did a Belroy version? And he was like, oh, of course, we can't sell the thing. It was a dud. We've written it off. And I'm like, great, we'll, we'll do a new spin on it. And we launched it with Belroy and instantly it took off and, and sold incredibly well because Belroy's audience was different. It, it wasn't their first trip. It was their 30th trip or their 50th trip. And they didn't want their hands sort of holding this big folio. They didn't want all those things. And so it, it was fascinating that um, thankfully the divisions I managed at Recurl had astronomical growth. You know, a lot of the product work we did mm. there really resonated and sung but it was products that were more aimed at a younger audience experiencing these things for a first time. Um, I would also say, as someone who has uh, been a customer of Bellroy for a number of years now, you're very good at educating your audience on why you need a particular wallet or piece of luggage. Uh, you you know, your stop motion videos, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, but you, you did you did well to say, hey, here's a wallet, here's what it does, here's the benefit of having that wallet to your life. So like... You know, okay. If, where do I where do I buy? You, know, you made it so easy. <laughs> well, I love it, it. It's so difficult though, because when when you want to create innovative product that's really different, it's not immediately obvious. You, like, and it's why um, it, it, it's slow attraction when you're selling through retailers where you can't have as much education. You can't take people through the journey of understanding. You can't really frame those benefits in new ways. And I think that was part of why Bellroy resonated so much as an online brand where we could bring all that higher bandwidth communication and explanation and storytelling and journey work into videos, into landing pages, into all these sort of immersive experiences that help people understand why this looks different to normal product that they see and why there is a benefit to that once you get your head around it. You said earlier you had a fascination with luggage, which is great. We all need to have a fascination with something. You left Rip Curl to start your own business, but instead of going straight into creating a luggage or a wallet business, as you have with Bellroy, you started nine businesses before (laughs) landing on Bellroy, and they weren't about luggage. Talk to me. What a fool. So um, Bellroy was seeded as one of many ideas. And so my brother, Matt, and his partner, Lena, we'd worked together in a family business previously, Wheels and Casters, which is sort of industrial goods in a materials handling space. And we'd loved working together. We knew we complemented each other's skill sets really well. And I think in many ways, we're optimistic realists. So when we looked at all the stats around startups, you know, depending on whether you're coming into a bubble or not, failure rates are up around 90%, uh, 60 to 90%, depending on where the market's at at the time. And and so we said, well, if, if we really want to guarantee a success, we've probably got to start 10 businesses and hopefully one of them gets traction. And so um, 
you know, they have incredible experience in supply chain. They're both engineers. Um, my brother's a self-taught computer programmer who took that to a very high level. And so we, we began some in digital space, software programming. We still had some materials handling gaps in the market that we were playing in dental supplies company, truck routing software company, like it was all sorts of things. And we we started them all as cheaply as we could. It was like quick hacks. How can we build something and test product market fit? How can we do that? And I guess Bellroy and Cariology were the two that were dearest to my heart. And so they were ones that had to be in the mix for me. And we'd all work across the different businesses and do that. And, you know, in hindsight, you can say, of course, it was the passion project that was so much more than a business thing. But at the time, you know, you had no idea which one would take off and which one. Just what does that look like starting nine business? Did you start one and then give it an amount of time? And if so, how long before then going, no, let's start the next one? Or did you have four, five, six business balls in the air at any one time? Yeah, version B, we were nowhere near smart enough to just do one at a time. (laughs) So we tried many. Some, uh, they were always around an insight. So um, some of them we partnered with friends that had an insight. So a business we're still involved with is called Radiopedia. It's an incredible resource for radiology online. So huge database. It's like Wikipedia for radiologists. And you know, we have a radiology friend who'd already started that, but he needed help. He needed all the programming skills. He needed all those things. So we got involved there and Dr. Frank continues to run that to this day. And it's, it's an incredible business as well. But that's an example where someone who was in their expertise area needed a partner. And other ones were ones where we just, through friends, through discussions, through our own previous expertise, we knew there were gaps in the market and we thought we should try. And so, we, we tried to make sure each business had someone giving it at least 51% of their time. And that was how we sort of made sure none of them were neglected too much. Some of them were quick spin-up ideas. Um, Pod Shifter was this idea that we were all consuming podcasts, listening to them at two times, two and a half times speed. And at that time, none of the players allowed you to do that. So you could subscribe through the site and you could pick the speed you went to. But then, of course, Apple and everyone just added the button and that, yeah, that whole yeah, yeah. business disappeared before it could get legs. Um, so it, it was many different things and uh, we were working pretty long hours and it was pretty fragmented and I generally don't recommend it for anyone. Um, it, it was insane. Wallets are awesome. You love luggage. You had been blogging anyway, hadn't you, with a blog called carryology.com, which still exists. Was 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 Carryology your foray into then Bellroy as a, as an idea and as a business? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things we've always done with businesses is try and take a long term view. And in two thousand and eight, when we started planning these, there wasn't a term for bags and accessories, luggage, travel. It, it, people would sort of bundle it in all sorts of terms, and we're like, well. It's the carry space. We were like, this term carry can say, how do you carry your things through the world? And when we looked at what had happened with sneaker culture in the decades before, people used to collect sneakers in the, you know, it was a cupboard thing. You, you, you had them, you didn't talk about it much. There weren't campfires to gather around. And we said, if we want people to feel and experience our passion for carry, we're going to have to create that campfire. And so in 2009, we launched carryology.com and that was trying to create this campfire to bring the best learning, the best thoughts, the best education reviews, all those things about the world of carry and how to carry better. And so we launched that, you know, we'd ride at nights or weekends, we'd rope in friends who were already in the game and that continues today, continues to grow. It's the world's most influential carry blog in that way, you know, millions of page views, some incredible relationships with all the great carry brands in the world, really. Let's just understand that a bit more because the number, there's a whole lot there to unpack. Blogging is ace and not enough business owners do it, is my view. It's a great way to express your opinions. It's a great way to share ideas. It's a great way to educate your audience. It's a great way to entertain your audience. You know, there's so much upside to blogging. Search engines love it. I'm sure there are people listening who go, really? He's written a blog about carrying stuff? 
maybe there's five articles there, but after that, because then they go, well, what are you going to, you know, I always get asked, you know, don't you run out of things to say? So what was your, ex- clearly you're just laughing at this and just a big smile <laughs> on your Sorry, face. Like it's like, <laughs> you know, how did karyology come to be so prolific and how do you continue to come up with things to write about? I know it's now outsourced to third parties and, and things, but yeah, how do you do that? When you've got a real passion for a space, you can talk for months, not minutes sort of thing. And I think we still feel like it's only just scratching the surface. So when, when we see how people move through the world, we just see how much opportunity there is to help them. There's so many people that are sold the dream by a brand saying, you know, if you get this wheeled carry on suitcase, your life will be fixed and then they hit the sandy trail or the snow or something else and they stutter and stop and all of a sudden their holidays kind of added friction that just makes it much less enjoyable. And so we knew that the tips and tricks and hacks we've been learning over the years of through failed experiments of travel, if we could share those. But then from super early on, we were roping in friends who we knew did similar things. They travelled for different reasons. Some were musos, some were elite athletes, some were just adventurers, some travelled for work but tried to mix a bit of play. And so from very early on, we were sort of roping them in. And some of our earliest contributors who like they had this passion for bags and finally someone was talking about bags and all the other carry around it. They sort of reached out said, hey, I'd love to write. And some of those people are still really heavily involved with cariology over a decade later because we're still just scratching the surface. One of the things we've been able to do is by communicating what great carry is, we then support brands making better carry because people are now willing to pay a bit more to have something that solves the more sophisticated or, or more hidden problems of carry. And so what we now get is the whole industry's bubbling and rising together as the consumer base realises how, how much better their travel and their movement through the world can be when they've got the right things and they're doing it in the right way. And so, you know, the whole carrier industry's moving forwards where they're now more involved in sustainability, all these other things. And so the topics just keep exploding and I, I think we could, you know, times five the content we do and still not scratch the surface. That's fantastic. You are the first business owner, I think, in over 530 or so episodes that has a word that clearly defines their category, but not only has the word, but uses it often. You've used it a lot in our chat and we've been going for 10 or so minutes. I imagine you're using it in just daily. And I'm just wondering, you know, should every business have their, what, that one word that defines what they do and underpins everything they're about? Uh, probably not. I think there's different types of businesses and what they do in the world. And some are there to leverage existing marketplaces. Some are all about knocking off existing things and doing it cheaper. I think for us, we've always tried to take that next level up view of something. And so rather than thinking about just making bags or wallets, we've always thought, well, what's the higher thing we're doing here? And it's like, how do people move through the world and how do you reduce friction? And so we realised we needed to popularise, you know, a common English term, but start to name that. And and it's incredible these days how many brands describe themselves in the carry space. And I mean, that that's wonderful. And I guess a great sort of endorsement for the work that Carryology does do. All ships place. rise on a high tide. Yeah. And I think that's really our view. It's like, we're not fighting against other great carry brands trying to do really good product. We're fighting against all the horrible bags and wallets that just break and stitching comes out and they just never do the job they were meant to do. And and so we think if we can help the world understand how to carry better, it'll be good for all of us. So let's just kind of spread that learning and spread the stoke. Okay, so let's then talk Bellroy specifically. As you said, I mean, there's no shortage of wallets out there, purses. I mean, you know, this is not a new thing. They're very easy to buy. You go into any department store or leather goods store or whatever, and they're easy to buy. So what problem were you specifically solving in order to think Bellroy is a, was, is a great idea? Yeah, so one of those bits of learning I did get from the Rip Curl time was discovering that most of the wallets in the world are licensed off by brands. And the way that would work is 
a licensing company based in Hong Kong or somewhere else would own the license to make wallets for several fashion brands. And the way they did that is they would have a factory they worked with. They'd ask the factory in China or Vietnam or India to design a range of wallets with this brand's badge on, and then that's what they would sell. And so we could see all the wallets were optimised to be easy to make for the factory rather than excellent in the pockets of people. When we looked at it, we could see every time they were separating cards, there was leather and air between, and so you were adding bulk. And so we, all of our first five products were all what we termed slim wallets. And so it was what's a fundamental paradigm shift we can do where we can reduce the size of a wallet so that you're not sitting skew with each time you rest on it or you don't have to pull it out and (laughs) plonk it on the table each time you You, want to sit down. You don't feel like you've got hemorrhoids. Absolutely. And like literally (laughs) chiropractors and all sorts have been recommending Belroys to people who, you know, feel the need to carry them in their back pocket. And so it was this key insight of, okay, What if people were willing to store several cards together that they don't use very often and just have a few cards at quick access? So we started to optimise for storage where everyone else was optimising all the cards for access all the time. And so that let us try and popularise this concept of slim wallets, like a wallet with much less bulk. And so that I guess that was the driving thrust of that initial range of wallets. And... We then had many other goals. We wanted much more sustainably produced leathers. We wanted, you know, a brand that gave back to the world that that did good. We we wanted a whole number of other things around it, but there was a fundamental paradigm we wanted to shift that said, don't have a massive wallet. It's actually the design's fault. It's not your fault. You can still carry just as many cards in a much slimmer wallet. And then if you're up for learning how to reduce your cards, you can have an even slimmer wallet again. So I think that was the fundamental paradigm shift for us. To me, as a, as a customer of Bellroy, there's another part of that too, Andy, which, so there's the function. You got the function right. Like we now have, if you're a Bellroy user, you can carry the same amount of stuff in your wallet and it doesn't take as much room. Great tick, functional stuff. But there's the form stuff. And for me, what I also love about what you've done is you've created a brand. And I've said this before, it's a very overused term in marketing. And what is a brand? I define brand as it's an emotional attachment. That's what it is to me. And, you know, up until then, yeah, you could buy a, you know, a wallet with some brand on it. But as you say, it had come out of a factory and there's probably three, the, the same wallet had three different brands on it, just fashion brands. Whereas you've created a brand from scratch. And up until finding Bellroy, I didn't really sort of, didn't know there are other brands of wallets. You know, you just bought whatever you came across. So... I really like that. Can you talk a little bit about how you've gone and created that emotional attachment, which I'm, I'm assuming you acknowledge that you have, beyond just function, but into form and, and just that whole, there's a, there's a beautiful, I don't know, emotion around your brand. Thank you. Um, I think it's evolved over the life of Bellroy. So trying to be specifically wallets only to start in Australia was never going to give us this huge market. And so we always needed to be global. We, we needed something that could get cut through globally. And then because we wanted to start in wallets, we needed to service enough people. And so when you look at the earliest years of Bellrose brand, it's very different to what it is now. We would never really show people because we weren't sure which people these products were going to appeal to. <laughs> and so we were what we were calling a product-driven brand where the product was the hero and we would actually not signal, you know, this is for millennials or this is for Gen Z or this is for whatever. We reduce all that signaling and we, we made most of our comms around putting personality into the product. So those stop motion videos you mentioned, I mean, you know, they're all done in house. We've got a phenomenal team that does those and and the format of them has been evolving over all the years and it They're beautiful. It, Do you just want to briefly explain that what they a typical stop motion video for Bellroy? Yeah, so it, it comes back to that part of how do you imbue personality into a product without relying on showing the people that are using it. So instead of the normal trick of I see that person, they look cool and desirable, I want to buy what they're using. We were trying to create a brand that could appeal to enough people so the product itself had to become the hero of the story. And so we experimented with several things early in the day, but one of them was 
stop motions that would start to have, you know, the bills as they sort of wormed their way in or the way the wallet unfolded. We, we wanted to imbue the product itself with personality. And so it's um, hacked in like little labs in our Fitzroy office. It's um, all sorts. But these days that's been taken more and more. So now we do like bottles to bags videos where you get to see the bottle getting chipped and moved and becoming yarn and becoming other things. And so it's essentially a way, how do you storytell when you're not relying on people for empathy mm-hmm. or resonance or relatedness, you're instead trying to imbue the product. And so it's just always been one of the ways we could help explain. I, I guess you can do a lot more in video than you can just in still shots. No doubt. And so yeah. it's it's been something core to our brand. And again, that's another thing we see so many brands where it's like, oh, looks like they watched our video and had a go at it. But <laughs> And we didn't invent stop motion, of course, so many others have done it, but there's a certain style you start to recognise in a Bellroy stop motion and that style keeps evolving and our team keep challenging themselves on how to take it to a newer, richer, more nuanced dimension, how how to bring even more to it. And so thankfully the imitation Bellroy ones are always what we were doing a few years ago and these days the team keep pushing it further and further and now as we've got so much focus on materials, there's much more of a story of showing the origin of those materials then being woven or moved or formed into the wallets. And and so you're essentially mm. creating a fourth dimension to the product because that's the dimension of time. It's like where, where have the ingredients come from? How has the product been created? And then what do you expect to see by day 1000? Like how, how do you expect this product to continue to evolve and weave in your own story into its patina? And so now we're sort of storytelling in this fourth dimension of time as well. And I I think that just keeps creating new ways to imbue a personality into what you're engaging with. Why the name Bellroy? Bells Beach and Fitzroy. So they're our two lives. (laughs) Um, So it's a mashup. Uh, It was originally going to have one L, but we couldn't get the URL. So it was the two L's of Bells. Um, And so one, our design office is down in Bells Beach and our main office is in Fitzroy, which is a suburb in Melbourne that many of your listeners would probably know. It's a pretty fun suburb. There's a big creative scene. Tell me about the product development process. Nice place to develop products down at Bells Beach, which, you know, has got one of the most famous surfing competitions in the world and is not a very big place. Um, is that is it a beautiful farmhouse, first of all? So paint the picture of where the product development happens for Bellroy and then the actual process itself. Do you all sit around and contemplate and rub your chin or what's it look like? You probably spoke a couple of scoobs down there, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm confirm or deny in <laughs> neither. Um, the design studio, um, so Bells Beach, Torquay, Janjark is this, it's all, and Belbray is all 3228 postcode. So we're sort of a bunch of townships all mashed together. Um, and our design studio is in Janjark, so right close to Bells Beach. Um, we have people from around the world that um, work for Bellroy, many nationalities. And so the design studio, we've got um, a sort of office bit and a lab separated. Um, the designers we love are those that are great with their hands. They're really practical. They can make, they can tinker, they can hack. And so we have laser cutters, 3D printers. Um, it's something that's quite rare. We have a phenomenal pattern maker, one of the best pattern makers in the world that worked for many years with Arcturix, the incredible outerwear brand. She works with us where we concept around, say, a bag. We'll sort of have some sketches. She'll start to do some little mock-ups. We'll start interacting with those. We'll then do high-resolution ones where we then get them onto ourselves. We start using them. We start iterating with it. We take it through many evolutions quickly, all in that same lab. Like some days you can put out two different prototypes, both evolving, both moving. And... Tara can help us take them through to quite high resolution with incredible patterning behind it. And then once we get it to a certain point, then it's take it to one of our two bag makers that are some of the best sort of outdoor bag makers in the world. And it's um, 
It's really work with them to troubleshoot. And it is overseas. So one of the things we're quite grateful for, COVID's been quite an upturn for everyone. Um, previously, a lot of brands outsource a lot of that patterning and iteration work to the supplier. Um, and they only do it with the supplier. And so this year, obviously, no supplier trips. But because we can keep evolving and iterating in our Bell Studio, it means we haven't slowed down as much as so many others have. But there still gets to a point where you've then got to take it over with the supplier and work with their team to production proof it, get it right, start to iterate there, sort of take it to that next level of fine-tuning, you know, where all the time we're testing prototypes, we've got crazy test rigs, all sorts of other things, as well as just getting them into use and using. So, Give us a sense of these crazy testing rigs. Is this like, you know, it's like a, a, a mannequin wearing jeans and the wallet's in the back pocket and they sit down a million times and then you see what the wallet's like? Or? Almost, almost to that. Um, so uh, our product development team, which is mostly based in Fitzroy, um, one of our guys there is incredible at hacking little automation things. And so they'll machine little bits and put them on repeat cycle rigs and smash them and bash them. And we have all <laughs> sorts of standard tests like, you know, abrasion resistance and crocking resistance and all those things. But then we jerry-rig testing that will suit each product to try and take it through thousands of cycles. And then we also just have friends and ambassadors that we know are brutal on gear. And so there's certain things you only find out when you do stick it in someone's pocket or on their back and then they go trudging through marshes and hiking summits and doing all sorts. There, there you learn a whole number of other things about it as well. Andy, so far the product development process you've described involve it's very internal you give it to your ambassadors to try out from a kind of, is it going to break point of view? How do you know, do you just know intuitively because you've been in the industry for so long that this is a good idea, this is going to fly, or do you at some point take it out into the marketplace and test it with consumers? Do you do research groups? Do you, what do you do to know that this is going to work? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, one of the things, I, I guess we describe our product development process as towards agile development. So it's still a bit trickier when you've got complex tooling, all sorts, but we're always trying to continually iterate and evolve and have tangible expressions of the idea to get feedback. Another thing about Bellroy is, I guess these days people would describe us as omni-channel. So we sell through great retailers around the world. Mm. We sell through marketplaces. We sell direct through .com. And then we also work with some big corporate partners and sell through their brands and that sort of thing as well. And so all of those channels bring different styles of feedback. Sometimes we're trying to re-architect the the basic formats of our straps. And so if you're evolving them on one bag, then it will still relate to a new bag you make. But I think we, we have this process where we try and create tactile sketches of the idea and get those into people's hands and get expressions and then bring them higher resolution and higher resolution. We sometimes do focus groups, but not very often. We definitely run them by key retailers who are really calibrated in the space. We will run them by a number of our key carryology contributors who've been able to handle a thousand carry products in their life and are just very calibrated. And so they'll give good sense. Our Bellroy staff give incredible feedback because they've been able to use so many products and, and they're starting to build quivers of carry gear. So you get to see how each product relates in an ecosystem of other products. Is there been an idea, clearly you're just constantly ideating, um, is there been an idea where you thought, Mr. Carryology himself, this is just a ripper and you've taken it to market and it's completely flopped? I'm too scared to ever have total <laughs> confidence something's going to be a star. There's so many things required for a product to sing, like not only does it have to find an audience that understands it and relates to it, but you have to get your storytelling and messaging right that it, it can unearth that audience and, and get them excited about it before they've been able to interact with it. Um, it has to have the business model behind it. It has to have so many things that 
there's no product I ever go, this one's the winner. Like I just, I've been scarred too many times to ever believe that. <laughs> um, but there's certainly products that I wish succeeded and didn't. And often, sometimes we can just go back and iterate on them and have a second go and a third go to try so and So you don't give up. It. You don't, if something fails, you, dare I say, you There, there are ones we've given up on. There's ones where right. we've had two or three goes and we're like, you know what, there's something missing and we can't identify it. Tell me what. Funny things, like the first bag range we launched, I think it would have been 2017, there was just this laptop brief in it. There was this, it's such a charming little product, but it's at a time when people had started to move off briefs and more onto backpacks. And it was it was a little bit overspecced for something quite simple, but there, there was so much charm and charisma to it. It resonated in certain Asian markets, like parts of Japan loved it, parts of South Korea loved it, but there just wasn't the global audience for it. And so we just had to retire it. And it's like, you know what, we've, we've tried, we can't make it work. And I keep a sample because I still love it when I go <laughs> traveling and love that it. sort of thing. But there's certainly products like that. One of our past guests, Lizzie Abeg from Spell on the Gypsy Collective, a beautiful brand based in Byron Bay, a fashion brand. They have a flagship store in Byron, which is a destination. People travel from around the world to visit their store, um, and it's in a beautiful part of the world. It would seem to me that the Bellroy brand would be up for a flagship store, uh, given the type of brand it is, given that it lives down in beautiful Bells Beach, Torquay area. Have you thought about a bricks and mortar flagship store? We certainly have. And I think one of the things we think about a lot is um, sand pits. Like, where's your domain expertise? And when you get into really good retail, it's you've got to be an expert. Retail's a tricky game. And we have so many great retail partners that present our product beautifully, communicate it. A few years ago, we actually did a carryology pop-up for a while in Fitzroy, and we bought the best carry gear in the world all into this incredible store. And we loved it. It resonated. It was amazing. And we got to convince ourselves, but running a retail store is really hard work. And and it's a whole different expertise set. So I think at some point it'll come and I'm pretty sure we'll partner with experts to do it. Wow. That's exciting. Would it be down on the West Coast? Uh, I actually think the best places for it would probably be in Asia. Um, I think there's such a... Well, that's not very accessible for someone like I, me. I, I totally agree. But there's, <laughs> you know, the consumer is so educated. When you see the level of carry sophistication in Japan or South Korea or Singapore or Hong Kong, there's just this embrace of really well-resolved carry. And I, I actually think that's probably where it would best suit. And you're right, I, w- I would love the candy store, though. I would love it close enough that I could be in there every week <laughs> um, learning the lessons. Oh, well, it's good reason to go on holiday when when this pandemic's under control. Now, tell me, Bellroy, now in 2020, you've got wallets, you've got bags, you've got accessories like phone and laptop cases, pouches, key covers, etc. Amazing to think where it's come from in however many years. Just give us a sense of size of the business these days. Reveal whatever you can, whether it can be turnover, number of staff, but how big's the business now? We've now sold... Millions of products. We sell in over 120 countries each month. We have really strong representation around the world. We have maybe 80, 90 staff in Australia, but we then have many staff around the world and many partners that we go deep with. So there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who all day work on Bellroy, but the company itself partners for many of those. So, you know, we work with great 3PL partners. We work with amazing suppliers. We do all of that sort of thing. And so we we try and keep the team as small as we can. When did Bellroy launch? What year? We sold our first product in August 2010. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. It was nerve wracking. It was... um, (laughs) We never forget our first customer. Oh my God, 18 months, two years of work on it, trying to work it all out, flicked the switch on the website and orders started coming in from around the world. It blew us away. We got some good press right on launch. 
we had some great retailers, people like Rush Faster in Australia, and there used to be an amazing gift shop in Fitzroy around the corner from us that picked it up. And it, it, a number of retailers were willing to take the bet on this new, weird, unproven brand and a number of people that were like, I've been looking for this. You're a very positive fellow, very optimistic, I get a sense, uh, but it's incredible what you've achieved. Millions of products sold, 120 countries you make sales in monthly, you've got 80, 80 to 90 staff in Australia alone. Do you ever sit back and pat yourself on the back, reflect on what you've achieved, or are you just trying to move on to the next, the next big idea? <laughs> I feel a huge amount of gratitude for the team we have. I, I feel like each year that the scale improves, we can have a bigger impact in different ways. We're now able to have full-time material developers. We're able to have more and more work. We're a B corporation that tries to give back and make a real positive impact in the world. And, and as Bellroy grows, I think what we get to do is just increase the size of the impact and also recruit more and more of the outstanding world-class folks that jazz us to work with each day. And so I think we love that. I think we all feel we're so early on the journey. I think when we see what sells in the world, when we see what we still want to achieve, what we still want to bring into the world, I, I think most of our attention is still on what's still to come. But yeah, it's um, pretty exciting. I, I think there's definitely moments where we feel huge gratitude for what we've been able to do with it so far. Of, of those nine businesses, many did not last. <laughs> you know, we sold a few <laughs> off, but we had to close a bunch. And we, we know how hard it is to find the right formula and the folks that can keep evolving it fast enough to stay relevant and, and keep increasing its relevance. What kind of businesses knock on your door? And I'm assuming they do offering to buy Bellroy. Yeah, we get all sorts. Um, and it was interesting. We were completely self-funded right up until 2019. You know, we launched Bellroy on the smell of an oily rag. And because we found market fit, we could scale it. But we started to get to a point in late 2018 where we were introducing all the other categories. And we realized having some professionals who've been through this sort of thing before could be really valuable. So we actually bought external investors in in 2019. And I, I mean, we could have sold, you know, way more shares than we did because I think it appeals to different folks for different reasons. Some, are just the product, they love it and it resonates. Others can see that we're doing something quite interesting on the way we carve into the world. Others love the full purpose approach. So we certainly still get approached by many people who would love to be a part of the brand. Bringing in an external investor um, only last year must have been exciting and a nerve-wracking experience. Are they silent or are they active? And if they're active, how did you kind of find someone who shared the same values? Oh, great question. We didn't need investors. Um, we could have kept running it ourselves. And I think that put us in a real position of power where we didn't have to take the first people that came across. There'd been many people reaching out for the years before. So there were several we could just call up and say, hey, we're now actually looking. We really tried to understand the different types of investment and what would be driving their expectations on the business. So we zeroed in on something we, some people call growth equity. So you see a lot of private equity style businesses that try and manage for return on capital you see venture capital style businesses that sort of grow at all costs and profits not so important. We were looking for people that could have a longer term view. We knew we wanted, you know, at least one US based investor, at least one Australian based investor. And then we ended up um, two professional outfits that carry a, a bit of the weight and then a few other just rad folk that had to be a part of it somehow. And, you know, they've <laughs> built their own well through other avenues and they were just desperate to be involved in the brand and, and we love having them on as well. So we've got an incredible relationship. I mean, I, I used to joke because even to the start of 2020, people would go, how's it going with the investors? And it's like, well, amazing, but we're growing really well and everything's strong. So it's like, so I can't really judge them yet. Except speaking at this end of 2020, we've just been through COVID, which was a hairball of a challenge. Like it was 
really hard for most of the brands in the world and the investors have just been incredible through it. They, they get that we care about our crew, we wanted to keep them all on, they, they get the longer-term vision, they get what we were doing and so they've just been so supportive. Um, we feel really fortunate with who we did choose. In 2017, Google reached out to you and asked you to develop a range for their Pixel range of products. Was that just out of the blue? Was it a was Google a kind of partnership that you'd been courting for years? No, out of the blue, and wow, really nice. lovely because I mean we all use so much, you know, so many Google products, Alphabet products, and when they did reach out, it was obviously like, oh yes, please, this sounds great, and we've actually just formed a really good relationship there. We we work on things together constantly. We've had a number of their very senior team over to Fitzroy and Bells to sort of eat loon croissants and do the surf check at lunch and those sorts of things. And we, we get to jam on a whole bunch of things together and it's just a partnership we love. Um, we yeah, love that sort of thing where it's ongoing and you get to help complement each other's products. Do you just say to them, hey, listen, I'll give you a good product, but can you just make sure we're on page one for every possible search term? That could be, <laughs> that's the contra deal. They are so well disciplined in that. There is no <laughs> chance you can find a loophole. Damn. Well, let's talk about that because big online, a big part of the business is online. You have an incredible website, an online store. Uh, SEO must be a fairly significant part of your marketing approach. I think um, I think marketing these days needs many different areas to all work together, and so I think we work a lot on you know great user experience, trying to make sure the SEO is right, trying to make sure the ads are right, trying to make sure the experience when someone lands is right, trying to make sure if they do click the buy button that they're then followed up with some really good things. So it's I, I think we think of it as sort of the whole ecosystem that has to be right in that user journey from finding them, hinting that you might have something they'll be interested in through to getting the first purchase, thanking them so much for it, and then seeing if you can build an ongoing relationship. And I think all the channels need to work together these days. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So often that's not the case and, you know, it is. It's a, it's a big pie and everything needs to bounce off. Is, is there one area of marketing that works particularly well for you? Because it's quite interesting interviewing you. And when I approached you the first time, you know, I was a bit of a fanboy because I do love the Bellroy brand. Here's my wallet. Look, there it is right there. <laughs> and um, so it's kind of like, for me, it's like I, I assume that, hey, everyone knows Bellroy. I'm interviewing Andy from Bellroy. Who? Bell, who's Bellroy? And, and I'll go, oh, geez, hang on. Doesn't everyone in the world know about Bellroy? Clearly not. And you're indicating it's still day one or whatever. You know, it's early days. It's interesting. For, for me, it is anyway. It's like, it's, it's Bellroy. Everyone must know it. What, what do you... And you're not off doing mass advertising. We're not going to see you on TV or radio. We wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do that. But what do you do from a mass point of view to get the name out there? That almost ties back to the evolution of the brand as well. We've always cared about product longevity and when our range was only wallets, you, you could stoke someone and five years later, they're still stoked. They don't need to re-engage with the brand. And we, we all joke about it because so often people will say, oh, you know, what do you do for work? And it's like, oh, I work with a brand called Bellroy. What do you make? Oh, wallets, bags, all sorts. And so often our crew and myself and uh, our whole ecosystem have had the experience of, I've got this amazing wallet. I should show it to you. It's so cool. I love it. It's this. You might be interested that you might learn something. And they pull out a wallet, start showing it to us, and we're like, yeah, that's a Bellroy. Um, <laughs> and it's like what you get because there was no reason to keep re-engaging because we, we stoked you with a wallet. It's all good. A lot of people would even sort of forget the brand name and just go on loving the product. And so it's only been in the last few years where we've started to fill out that carry ecosystem that there's more reason to really re-engage and, and there's more reason for people to sign up to the newsletter or follow us on Instagram or stay connected because they can keep discovering not only new products, but new sharing, new ideas, new material insights, new things there. And so it's only been in the last couple of years where that sort of brand name awareness starts to be a more important piece for us and generating content that will continue to give people good reason to re-engage and, and do that. So I think we, we still consider ourselves a tiny fish in a very big ocean. Um, 
And I think it's really only been the last couple of years that we can turn up that focus on, like, how can we genuinely give people good reason to stay engaged with the brand and start to remember the name and start to kind of have enjoyment by re-engaging with us? Yeah, that's awesome. Andy, I've loved chatting to you. Thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for making beautiful product. Bellroy.com, B-E-L-L-R-O-Y.com is where you'll find all Andy's products. And I encourage you to go there and wish you all the best for the future, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for just sharing interesting stories and journeys and insights. Um, you're, You're something of an institution in Australia. So thank you so much for all the work you do to share Stoke and stories with the world. Wow. Blush, blush. Hashtag blush. I do love it when your business hero has such kind words to say. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, there you go, team. Belroy founder, Andy Falshaw. Here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with him. Attention grabber number one. I love his idea around creating immersive experiences that really get your customers paying attention to what you're doing with your beloved product or service, an immersive experience. How are you immersing your prospects into your brand? Attention grabber number two, I love Andy's idea around creating a campfire around which your people can gather. He's done it through his Carryology blog. I've done this through my Facebook tribe. What's your campfire? Have you got one? If you haven't, get one. And attention grabber number three, I love, love, love how Andy's come up with one word in the word carry to summarise everything that the Bellroy brand represents and stands for. Do you have a word for your business? One that helps you grow your precious brand and your precious business? If you do, give the Small Business Big Marketing hotline a buzz on 0480 015 150 and let me know. Hey, Timbo. It's Ben from Ben's Bees. I just want to say a big thank you. You're absolutely amazing. Now, I'm lucky because I get so many different workers. That's right. I get a heap of buzzy bees doing a lot of work for me. But sometimes, you know what? I reckon I work for them, not for me. But I'm so lucky because I've taken on so many different things that you've recommended from your past podcasts. I've written a book, I've got my own podcast, and it's absolutely kicking bee butts. So this is a big thank you. Keep up your awesome work. And for everyone, implement these ideas. Absolutely do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. And that's so true. I love working with bees. It is hard work, but I absolutely enjoy it. You know, with me and my business, and absolutely it is awesome. So big thank you, Tim. Just a shout out. And uh, keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Benny from Ben's Bees. What a motivated fellow. Do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Ain't that the truth? Ben, you are inspirational, my friend. You've written a book. You're punching out a bucket load of content, given you've got a lot of helpers in your bees, but... I don't think they could write or edit or record for you. But, mate, that's awesome. Thank you for listening and thank you for going to the trouble of calling me and letting me know what you're up to and how you're using this podcast. Everyone else, give us a buzz, 0480-015-150. Leave me a message. Might play it on air. If I do, that's a little bit of extra publicity just for your business. Next episode, we catch up with a couple that's taken it upon themselves to single-handedly save the Australian cheese industry with a very clever idea. If you're up for even more marketing love, then be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you love the Small Business Big Marketing podcast, and I reckon you do if you've got this far, then you'll find 535 more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app. And as has been the case for the past 12 years... This podcast is presented by me, Timbo Reid, and gently mused over by the audio files over at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.